pray. Dear God, we thank you for this song, Lord. We thank you for these words that declare whose we are. Lord, we can place our lives in your hands because you know. You know us. You know our hearts. And we know that you love us. And God, what a great way to start out this morning. Lord, by declaring and remembering and speaking that truth that you love us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Southfield. It's a great day, and it's a great day to have you here. This morning, Dennis is going to begin a new series, I Live to Serve. So he'll be up here sharing a message with us, and God will speak to us through him and through his word. Again, we're going to declare that God loves us, and we're going to start the morning out just speaking that truth over and over, because I think that's the most important thing he wants us to get, is that he loves us. God, we thank you for that truth. And Lord, whatever we're going through, wherever we are in our lives, Lord, speak that truth to our hearts constantly. And open our ears to listen to that. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, it is great to see you today. My favorite morning of the year. That extra hour of sleep is wonderful, isn't it? Why don't we do that every week? You know, I, I don't think it'd be a problem. I mean, eventually, two in the afternoon would be dark, I know, but it, oh man, I love that extra hour of sleep. It's great. It is great to see you today. You got a folder as you walked in on the inside, there's a card. Why don't you right now to go ahead and put your name on that? If you wouldn't mind putting your email as well, I have a reason for that in just a moment. If this is your first time here. Put as much on the card as you're comfortable filling out, and on your way out, we have a gift for you. On the table just outside the door, there's a book there uh, called How Good is Good Enough. We'd love for you to take that. Learn more about how you can have a relationship with God. I was asked recently about, about prayer requests. You see on the back, we have a wide open box, and one of the things you can do there is put down your own personal prayer requests. Somebody asked, uh, do, we have a, do we have a prayer chain? Do we have a way of getting the word out about people's prayer requests? And we actually do. If you want to be involved in, in the list of people who receive requests from people to pray for them, uh, what we ask is that you ask for that specifically. Uh, we, we don't want to send that email to just everybody that's ever visited the church. We want to make sure that the people that are going to do that are going to pray. So if you want to be one of the prayers on that list, if you want to just write the word prayer on there today, we'll make sure you're included. But the other side is, if you have a request, you need to let us know about it. Okay, so whether it is by way of the card or by way of email or calling, let us know. And one of the things we talked about is we want to make sure that if somebody's making a request, they're actually the one making it for themselves. In other words, sometimes you may know of something someone's going through and you know that secondhand. We certainly want to pray for that, but we do understand that sometimes people want to keep their, keep their requests personal. And so we'll go ahead and contact them and make sure that that's something they want other people to know. So hopefully that helps a little bit, just understanding how we get prayer out, prayer requests out to other people. It's November. Can you believe it? I love November. November's fantastic. There are so many reasons to love November. No, I take that back. There's one reason to love November. There's only one reason to love November. 
Don't you love turkey? Oh, man, turkey is just fantastic. We're finally at that time of year. We get to have our turkey. Now, I know for those of you born like after 1990 or so, you're used to having turkey all the time. Back in the day, when I was a kid, you had turkey once a year, and it was at Thanksgiving. And back then, we'd even, just in this very daring way, put the stuffing on the inside of the bird, because we love to live dangerous. I mean, we just, we love Thanksgiving. It's such a great time of year. I'm, I'm on the internet looking at all these great Thanksgiving images, images of beautifully set tables, images of of plates of food that, of course, involve green bean casserole and and all those wonderful things that you're supposed to have at Thanksgiving. And then I came across this. There is something wrong with this picture. I mean, who in the world would only put that piddly little amount of whipped cream on that piece of pumpkin pie? That thing should be layered, man. There should be as much white as there is brown if you're going to eat pumpkin pie. You know, that's the way to do it. And then after that wonderful feast, that awesome amount of eating, then comes the moment that the little boy puts his head down on the table and he falls asleep. Oh, man, I can't wait for Thanksgiving. It is one of the best Best holidays of the whole year. The ability to be able to gather with your family, gather with your friends, give thanks to God. It's an amazing day. And it's a day that doesn't just happen. I mean, I got news for some of you. Magic fairies don't make Thanksgiving dinner. It doesn't just appear. The day doesn't just happen. There are all kinds of people involved in making sure that the day happens and the day is great. I've now been basically involved in in three different family settings when it comes to Thanksgiving. My family growing up, my in-law family, and now we've even had Thanksgiving a couple times at our house. And I don't know if you've noticed this about Thanksgiving, but certain people take on certain roles at Thanksgiving. You, You almost don't have to ask. You know what they're going to do. I mean, nobody in our family growing up doubted that mom was going to get up at about 545 and start stuffing a turkey. It's just the way it worked. We woke up to the smell already in the air. And then in my in-law's family, my mother-in-law and father-in-law get that turkey ready. And in our family, believe it or not, I'm the turkey guy. I like getting up, getting it stuffed, getting into the oven. That's part of my role. Different people have different roles when it comes to Thanksgiving. For some of you, you have a dish that you always bring. You're the green bean casserole person, and we love you and thank you. Or you're the person that always brings a certain dessert. And I'm I'm telling you what, if you don't show up, Thanksgiving's ruined because you bring that dessert. You bring that dish. That's your thing. Have you ever noticed about the 15 minutes prior to the meal coming onto the table that all of a sudden there's this flurry of activity in the kitchen It seems like a few extra people get involved. This is the time at which I usually back off. I don't want to be a part of all the the bumping that's going on and everything else. They're on a mission. They've got their task ready to go. But then there's this thing. We all sit down. We eat. In our family, there's an assigned prayer. Grandpa prays. Every year, Grandpa prays. And Grandpa prays long enough that the turkey gets cold. We're used to that. That's part of our Thanksgiving. And then the meal is done. Dishes start to be collected. And all of a sudden, everybody runs for their lives because dishes have to be cleaned, right? And actually, in the in-law family and in my family of origin, and I think even in this family, 
I've kind of taken on the dishwashing role, in part because I know nobody else wants to do it, in part because you can spend some time alone at the sink while everybody else is going and doing their, their things. Everybody has some role they take on. And truthfully, for some of you, your role is to be an observer and eater at the event. And everything else, you just have, you know which station the game is going to be on. You've got all that down. You're the guy that's going to take the snooze or the lady that's going to say someone else can do it. But we all have these, we all have these slots. We all have these roles that we fall into naturally when it comes to that Thanksgiving event. You know, truth is, that happens in almost every area of life. It happens here at church. If you were a part of setup on Sunday morning, there are certain things that people do, and they just do them automatically because they do them. That's their role. They're used to doing it. And, and I'll tell you what, if somebody steps in and, and does their role, it like it shakes the whole universe up. Like, wait, why, why are you doing a screen? I don't know what's going on here. It, it kind of rattles the cage a little bit, getting used to how people are going to fit in and where their spot is and what they're going to do. So I thought this month, as we approach Thanksgiving, a a holiday that's about serving, that we take a few weeks to just talk about what it means to be a person who serves. Because every one of us are meant to be involved in serving. Now, part of holidays for us is games. And one of my favorite games is What's It? You familiar with What's It? The little images on a card and you've got to figure out what the phrase means. So I created a What's It for this series. Go ahead. Think about it for a minute. You got it? I live to serve. I live to serve. Getting a little Texas twang going there. I live to serve. As Christ followers, we are people who live to serve. God has created each of us with two basic longings. He's created us with a longing for relationship. And that longing comes from birth. I mean, they have studies actually of children who do not receive proper physical attention and care from other humans early in life, and what that does to them, the way that it, the way that it ruins them and hurts them. We're made for relationships. That's part of our longing. But there's another longing that everyone have, every one of us has. We have a longing for impact. We have a longing to make some sort of a difference, to leave a, to leave a thumbprint on our world. We have a longing, and I believe it is a a God-designed, a God-implanted longing that He says, you're here for a reason, and I want you to be a part of finding that reason in your life. So this week, we're going to learn that we're wired for it. Every one of us is wired to serve. There's nobody in this room that kind of gets a pass. You know, no, I'm not a server. I don't have to serve. Because of your longing for relationship and your longing for impact, every one of us has been designed by God to long to jump in and serve in some way. And today what we're going to do is just break down one verse. We're just going to look at one verse, line by line, that talks about our wiring as Christ followers and our need to serve. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, For we are God's masterpiece. I want you to just stop for a minute and think about that. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things He planned for us to do long ago. Now, when I'm trying to understand a verse, one of the things that I do is look at that verse 
in multiple translations, in multiple paraphrases, to try to get some of the different nuances found in that verse. So, so let me just give you a, a couple other ways this verse has been expressed. In the New International Version, we read, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I always like uh, going to the message and seeing how Eugene Peterson says something. He, he has a way of saying things very creatively. He says, no, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He created each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does. I love the way He says that. We're joining Him in the work He does. The good work He's gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better get doing. What a great way to express that verse. Another paraphrase, the Phillips paraphrase, says, The fact is that what we are, we owe to the hand of God upon us. We are born afresh in Christ and born to those good deeds which God planned for us to do. I'm going to take us back to the New International Version because I think it just it, it, each phrase very clearly states what God originally intended. We are His handiwork. We are His work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's look at the first line. For we are God's handiwork. And now, you want to get a, a riot going sometime? You can talk Cubs socks. You can talk Packers bears. You can talk Cardinals winning World Series. You can talk all kinds of things. But, 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 but I'll tell you what will get something going. Talk about art. Talk about art. And, and what is art and what isn't art? I mean, Chicago messes with our brains when it comes to art, doesn't it? We, we have this beautiful place called the Art Institute that has some amazing works of art. And then you walk down the street, head to Daly Plaza, and you have this metal monster sitting there that, that people call art. I mean, I love the fact that it's so utilitarian that people are finding a place to sit. There were actually images of kids skateboarding underneath this phenomenal work of art. Then this work of art appeared in our city. And when that appeared, a lot of people had the same reaction they did to New Soldier Field. What in the world is that? But it's amazing that more and more and more it's making its way into images of Chicago. And especially when you get a chance to see the skyline in there, it's a pretty interesting work of art. I mean, can you imagine creating a stainless steel bean and everybody going, Ooh, you're a genius. <sighs> we see this art around our city. Graffiti art. It's a form of art. It's someone just going ahead and expressing. And I'll tell you what, as messy as that looks, it's cool too. I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't do that in a million years. We have performing art. These guys went away and it's too bad. Wicked's phenomenal. It was a great musical. We get the chance to see performing art. And, and we see other kinds of performing art too. Blue Man Group. There you go. Art or just fun? And, and you can get into a great argument over whether or not this is art. What is this about? You know what? 
Every time you look into a mirror, you get to look at a work of art. Every time you look into a mirror, you're looking at a masterpiece. I'm not talking about the mirror. Every time. The Bible says you are God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. It's a word used in the the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible to talk about the entirety of God's creation and the beauty of it. How amazing, the amazing work of art that creation is. And And God uses that very same word to describe you and to describe me as a masterpiece. Now when I say every time you look at that, You see a work of art. There are two extreme reactions in this room. The group that says, I know. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't have done any better. Look look at that guy in the mirror. That's amazing stuff right there. That's Steve Allenberg every morning waking up. (laughs) Work of art. Beauty. Not a Picasso. Just amazing. And then there's the rest of the room that cringes. The rest of the room that says, I am sorry. God may have meant that in a general sense, but there is no way he was referring to me as a masterpiece. No possible way. I mean, some of us look in the mirror and we just hate the way we look. We hate the way we're made. And we think, how in the world can you call that art God? Because that looks to me like a mess. And no matter how much all your other features may be fantastic, there's one feature you zero in on and say, if I could change one thing about me, if I could just change one thing, that's the thing I'd change. And it bugs you. Some go a little bit deeper than that. They don't just hate how they look. They look in the mirror and they hate who they are. Maybe because of the things that they do. The actions they've taken in life. They, they go back to some memories of earlier times and they hang their head in shame and they say, I can't believe I treated people that way. How can God call me a work of art? That's not possible. I'm a mess. And then there are those who look at themselves and think of the things that have happened to them. The searing criticism that you, you endured as a kid. You couldn't do anything right. Anything. And now you're looking in the mirror and being told you're a, you're a work of art? No, all your life you've been told you're a mess. How in the world can you think that way now? You look back at, at life and maybe, maybe you just went through abusive relationships, maybe even sexual abuse, and you think, how in the world? I'm not a work of art. I'm a mess. I'm torn. It's as if a piece of art was taken and, and dirt was spattered all over it and it was ripped and torn. That's what I am. I'm a destroyed work of art. I'm a ruined work of art. There's no way when I look in the mirror, I see something that I would call God's handiwork. You know the truth? The Bible says every one of us was created in the image of God. Every person here created in God's image. And every person here has had that image marred. 
Every person. There, I know the way this works. Some of you look around the room and you think, if I could just be him, if I could just be her, everything would be okay. And if you had ten minutes with them on a couch in a psychiatrist's office, you'd find out, wow, they're a bigger mess than I am. <laughs> Everyone has their junk. Because we're made in the image of God, but we're marred. And like we said in the Scar series, and at other times, it is in the marring sometimes that the most beautiful work of art emerges. It is in the messes sometimes that we are able to find the place that God intends for us to serve. You see, when God says you are his handiwork, he means it. He means it. And what we need to do, instead of looking in the mirror and seeing the mess, we need to look in the mirror and see this phrase. Because what God says is what's true. Not what you think, not what you've heard, not what you imagine. What God says is what's true. That's what matters most. Every person here is God's handiwork, God's work of art. He goes on to say, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Now this is, this is only referring to believers in Christ. This is only referring to Christ followers. Only referring to people who have trusted in Jesus as their forgiver in sin. This doesn't universally apply to everyone that ever existed. Only Christ followers can say this. We've been created in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? The destroyed work of art has been restored. God took that work of art that was ruined and spattered with mud and took it into, into his shop and he reworked it and remade it into a beautiful masterpiece once again. A beautiful masterpiece, might I say, that includes the scars. It includes the scars. Because it's in the scars that he's going to do some beautiful things in and through us. We were created in his image, but we were marred. But you don't have to stay marred. You can be restored. And the only way you're restored is through the recreating work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus. If you want to experience the impact you're hoping for. If you want to experience the relationships you're hoping for. That's the only way it happens. Now, he says we're created in Christ Jesus. And people go, yay! I'm created in Christ Jesus so I can go to heaven when I die. I'm created in Christ Jesus so God can just give me blessings all the time. Isn't that what it's all about? No, God actually in this verse tells us the purpose of recreating us. He says you're his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He had a purpose for you. He redeemed you for a reason. He didn't redeem you just because he was in the mood. He redeemed you to have a relationship with you. And he redeemed you so that you could make an impact. He redeemed you so that you can do good works. Now I'll tell you what, when we talk about good works, it gets really confusing. It gets really confusing because there are religious systems based on the concept that the way you get to heaven, the way you get into a relationship with God is to just pile up brownie points with God. There are churches where people actually believe that showing up today gives them a tally mark. Not a really long tally mark because you got an extra hour of sleep. But that one in the spring, you'll get an extra long tally mark for that day. All right. And, and you just keep piling up the tally marks 
and someday you're going to get to heaven and God's got this monster cosmic scale and St. Peter's standing there and he's holding on and here's all your good junk and here's all your bad junk and we're watching, we're waiting, we're looking and oh, look at that, the good stuff. Oh, wait, you get to go to heaven, woo! People believe this. Now they don't believe it the way I just expressed it, but they believe it. They believe their good stuff gets them a relationship with God. They believe that the things that they do earns them a place in heaven and earns them a relationship with God. And can I say there are verses that seem to imply this? Not just made up. You look at the book of James. Look at these verses, and can I add the words, look at these verses out of context. Okay? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And James' implied answer there is, no, it can't. This kind of faith, the kind that that has faith but no action, it can't save anyone. He goes on to say in verse 18, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. He goes on to say in verse 24, So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. There are people that will hold that verse to me and say, See, the Bible says it's not by faith alone. They've got to read the whole verse. have got to read the whole passage. You've got to understand what's going on here. Verse 26 says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. There are those who believe that good works lead to a relationship with God. If we were to put it on a chart, it would look something like this. The good I do results in faith. The good I do results in a relationship with God. The good I do results in what I want. So I work really hard. I do my best. I try not to sin. I get involved in everything I can, helping everyone I can, because I want to earn a relationship with God. But what these verses are teaching are really just the opposite. It's really just the opposite. Faith always results in good works. The kind of faith expressed in the Bible always results in good works. And you say, well, I know some people have faith and they don't have any good works. You know what James just said? They don't have faith. They don't have faith. Because the nature of faith is that it will, by its nature, produce good works. I could show you this in action this morning. If we're all to stand up and walk down the hallway and go to the nursery and look at, look at the humans that are about this long, laying on their backs, running down, laying there. What do these little machines do? Ever seen one of these come out and say, wow, so glad to be out of there. Woo, hey, uh, where's my bottle? I'm thirsty now. That's not, babies don't come out talking. Babies don't come out walking. Why? It's the nature of a baby to be a baby. It's the nature of a baby to be in need. It's the nature of a baby to be dependent. It's the nature of a baby to have to be fed by someone else. It's the nature of a baby to cry. If it didn't do all those things, we'd look and say, that's not a baby. Right? Faith produces good works. If you have faith, but you have no results, 
uh, the Bible goes on to say, you better take a good look at the fruit. And I've always wondered what it would be like to go to, to, go to Lowe's or Menards or somewhere and buy, buy a fruit plant and plant it thinking it was an apple tree and like three years later I find a pear. You know the kind of, of tree you have, not just by the tag. You know the kind of tree you have by the fruit it produces. Faith produces fruit. So, what are we saying? You're wired to serve. If you're a person of faith, you're wired to produce good works. You don't have to make them up. You don't have to try hard. They're in you waiting to burst out because that's what faith is all about. Put it all together. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, God saves you by His grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Your salvation is a gift from God. It is not a reward for the good things we've done. Do you see it there? Black and white. It's not good things result in faith. Good things result in relationship. It says flatly, it is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And then Paul goes on to say, but this is where good works come in. He says, you're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. There's your purpose, so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God created us to do good works. He made us for that. He wired us for that. And then there's this part which He prepared in advance. Now this part just starts to blow my mind. That before He made dust and a globe and a big light bulb called a sun before he created a plant or an ocean or the first human being, he already knew what he wanted us to do. He already knew. He knew Shanahan was going to exist in 2011. He knew this school building would be here. He knew the needs of this community. He knew the people who would live here. He knew what was needed here. He planned in advance the things that were going to happen now. You look at the book of Esther. I love that book. Just before Psalms. Esther is told by her uncle. says, you know, your people, your race are about to be annihilated. And you have been put in a spot to stop it. God created you for this moment. God has things he has prepared in advance. And then what does he say at the end? For us to do. He didn't just prepare things in advance and then, and then say, okay, angels, have at it. He prepared these things in advance and he said, and now I've placed you here to take advantage of the things that I have for you to do. I want you to get at it. I want you to get to work. I've, I've wired you to serve. I've made you for this moment. This is it. Now, do what I'm calling you to do. He's wired every Christ follower in this room for that. Every one of us. It's not that some people get to serve and other people get to watch. We all have ways in which we can jump in and help and serve because there are things that God planned for you to do long ago before you ever even existed. Second service, we're going to be involved in a baby dedication. A little boy named Abel. And as we do that dedication and hold that baby in our arms, there's this clear realization again that before he took his first breath, God had a plan for him. 
Before you took your first breath, God had a plan for you. You're not an accident. You didn't just happen. You look in the mirror, you're not a mess, you're a masterpiece. God prepared in advance what he wanted you to do, that you would be. He made you for this moment. And the question is, are you going to live up to your wiring? Because all of us live to serve. It's part of what it means to be a person of faith. Let's talk to God right now. Help us to believe it, God. You have a plan for us. I think that's part of the problem for many of us. We just, we really don't believe there's a plan. We really don't believe we're a masterpiece. We think we just happen. And most days are just a mess. Help us to take this verse over and over again this week and to allow the truth to sink into our minds and hearts instead of the lies we've believed for so long. There are events happening in every one of our lives right now. There are people that are hurting desperately that we call friends. You made us for this moment. You gave us that relationship so that we could jump in and do something. Help. Be there. Do the good things you prepared in advance for us to do. You placed us here. Help us not to miss our moment. Open our eyes to your desires. In Jesus' name, amen. I've never been at an art auction. I imagine it would be intriguing. I think I would sit very still. I wouldn't want to accidentally buy something that costs way too much that I don't want. No piece of art has ever cost more than you. Imagine that. No piece of art has ever cost more than you. Jesus gave his priceless life to buy you. It's as if he walked into a a warehouse full of art that had been stained and marred and torn and destroyed. And he walked around and he said, I want that one. 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 And here's the price I'm willing to pay. I will give my blood. I will give my blood so that that art can be bought and restored. No piece of art has ever been bought at a greater price than you. I think it may be time for us to live up to the price that was paid, huh? To live up to the wiring that God has given us. To realize the good works He prepared for us to do way before we even had a name. Right now our servers are going to come and Pass to us a reminder of the great price. Bread and a cup. Symbols of Jesus' body and his blood. The great price paid for you, his work of art. It's found in one cup. 
and there's a bread cup and a, and a juice cup. Take both. And when you're ready, go ahead and partake of it. But before you do, would you stop long enough to really reflect on that line? I am God's handiwork. I am God's work of art. I'm the most priceless piece of art ever purchased. Why don't you have a seat? And as you do, I'd like you to take your card out. Everybody needs to do this today. I'm going to ask you to do one of the most unusual applications we've ever done. All right. Uh, Some of you are going to go, how does that relate? You'll get it in time. It, It may take three years from now and you're going to go, ah, now I get it. Part of the reason I think we're afraid to jump in serving sometimes is because like Thanksgiving, We watch things happen in this, you know, it's like this wonderful ecosystem where everything's operating, it seems like just fine, and if I jumped in, I'd create a mess. We're used to the way things happen, and that's certainly true of Thanksgiving, isn't it? You're used to the way things happen. You don't think about what's going to happen with the turkey. The turkey person does that. The dish person does that, all that stuff. So here's what I want you to do. On Thanksgiving Thursday, I want you to disrupt your ecosystem. And I'm going to give you a few weeks to think about it. You may be able to write it down today. If not, you're going to have a couple more weeks to think about it. I want you to do something at Thanksgiving in terms of serving that you've never done before. Now, that may be that, you know, you're a kid or, or a spouse, and you're going to say, what time do you get up to fix the turkey? I want to, I want to be there to help. You'll, you'll, you'll hear gasping. palpitations, maybe a blue face, get ready for mouth to mouth, but, you know, see what happens with that. Or this one, I want an inordinate number of men. I'm not talking about just guys, I'm talking about men. I want an inordinate number of men that say, this year, I'm doing the dishes. And I know the way this works, you know, he's going to volunteer to do this, you go, it's because Dennis told you to. (laughs) Would you be grateful for the gift? And not worry about why. Because the guy needs to discover where the soap is under the sink. He might actually do it sometime in July, too, if he does it now. All right? Mess up the ecosystem. Offer to bring something you never bring. Get involved in that five-minute flurry as the food's getting on the table. Be the one who says, this year I'd like to be the table setter. I want you to just scramble your family's eggs. Okay, I want them all to kind of go, what, did he find Jesus? I mean, what's going on here? He's messed up. This is strange. This is weird. And I want you to, as you're doing this, see what it does to your ecosystem. See what it does to your family as you take on this serving experiment. As for a change, you don't just do what you always do or you don't do nothing at all. But you try jumping in on something. Now, the reason I'm giving you a couple weeks is because some of you will have to research what happens at Thanksgiving. Because all you know is that it happens. But I'm telling you, especially you guys, if I don't see these far cards full, 
I'm going to be doing some visiting to Thanksgiving houses. I'm going to, I'm going to be like a, like a, something terrifying. And I'm dressed scary. Give you bad dreams. Okay? So try it. I'm serious. Okay? Write something down and give you a minute here. Got a pen? Give that guy a pen. All right. Come on up. Collect the offering. You're going to have two more weeks to do this. So think about it. I'm really anxious to see what you learn when you jump in and serve somewhere you don't normally serve. It's going to be cool. Now, if you take a look at your folder this morning, I want to highlight the middle thing on the folder. The middle thing on the folder involves Thanksgiving. We've had this running group going all season long. And on Thanksgiving morning, uh, they're going to take a little run. Non-competitive run. Turkey trot. Make some space for the pie and the whipped cream. Maybe run a mile as long as you can. Get out and get a little bit of exercise. Again, even this might shake your system a little bit. You know, you're used to the things that happen during the day. And here's something else I'm going to try. Go spend some time with friends uh, mid-morning to have some fun. We'll have more details on that in the next couple of weeks. But for now, just something to get in the back of your brain. For some of you, you need to get out and do some running so you don't look bad. But, you know, it'll be, it'll be a fun time. We'll have, we'll have a good time together, okay? It's been great to be with you this morning. We are going to close uh, continuing to sing to our God. What, if the basket has come to you already, go ahead and stand. As it does, stand up and join us. We are free to think different. We are free to live change. And we are free to live to serve. Amen. Thing. Here we go. You can go ahead and clap if you feel like it.